Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, we are now going to move across to God's Word. We've been in the book of Genesis the last few weeks, and a bit of a distraction last week. We just felt to move across to Psalm um, 13, and uh, now we're going to get back to Genesis. And today we're into uh, Genesis 38. Just as I open my Bible up, um, to set the scene for this particular passage, I was reminded of a story that I heard uh, or watched actually a little while ago. It was a few years ago. And uh, the story was about a young guy on the Gold Coast. And uh, he uh, carried on this massive con job uh, with the people that he hung out with here on the Gold Coast quite a few years ago. He told everybody... Uh, that he was an actor who played a part on that hit show of a few years back, which is going to give away my age right now, Beverly Hills 90210, and I didn't, I wasn't an avid fan, but that was the show that was on. He told everybody he played a part on this hit show, Beverly Hills 90210. He was a fake. But no one knew that. No one knew that. Wherever he went, he got celebrity treatment. He was welcomed into all the nightclubs there around Service Paradise. He did publicity for any number of businesses around that area. Everybody seemed they wanted a piece of this guy who was a supposedly an actor on this Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, One day a radio station did a bit of background checking on him and they discovered he wasn't the real deal. It was all a big put on. So this radio show invited this guy on to do an interview here to talk about his part on the Beverly Hills 90210 show and they exposed him. Massively embarrassed on this live-to-air radio show. For this young guy, his show was over. Certainly I believe in some ways he enjoyed the ride but I also think there was probably relief that it was finished. In a sense, he didn't have to sort of keep this mask on any longer. Once he started this whole charade, it becomes a, a drama to sort of keep it going. In a small way, we're going to see that today with Judah as we look through the uh, book of Genesis and particularly Genesis 38. So if you've got your Bibles there, please go with me to Genesis 38 and let us read from verse 1. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chazib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And he put him to death also. 
Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shalah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, and he and his friend Hira the Agilamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me, that you may come into me? He answered, I will give you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil. She put on the garments of her widowhood. Father, we thank you that this morning we can come and open up uh, your word. We ask and pray now the Holy Spirit, you would help us and guide us as we open up this chapter here, Lord, which has some interesting stuff in it, some crazy stuff, Lord, in many respects. But Lord, it is your inspired word. And uh, Lord, we pray today, help us to learn from that, that if we just become open before you about our lives, Lord, we don't have to be secret about our sins. We can take the mask off and we can come openly before you and the gospel can change us. The gospel can restore us. So we ask now, Lord, for your help as we do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis 38, uh, you might think, doesn't quite seem to fit with the Joseph narrative where we were a couple of weeks ago. There's no mention of Joseph here at all on this, but it does play an important part in the book of Genesis. Uh, And you'll see a real contrast, as it were, between Genesis 38 and 39, but we will get to that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Genesis 38, again, is sort of like one of those embarrassing chapters of the Bible that some people may think. Like, where is God? He appears silent and distant here amongst a whole lot of sinful behaviour. But having said that, we did see God weigh in very dramatically early on in that chapter where two of those guys are put to death by God. It's very sobering stuff when you see what's happening there. But in Genesis 38, there are two main people who actually take the storyline here. It's Judah and it's Tamar. And in this Holy Spirit-inspired story, we're going to actually see each of them get a breakthrough in some sort in their lives as we follow them through Genesis 38. Both of them will go about their lives in sinful ways before God, but God will use that, use that brokenness in their lives to bring about God's purposes and also breakthrough for these uh, for these guys as well. Now again, this is one of those chapters where you can look at all this behaviour and think, oh, well, if it's in the Bible, can we approve of all that? No, no. God doesn't approve of this behaviour at all. It's only by his grace that he works with this broken behaviour to make something good out of it. So we're not condoning what we just read about in Genesis 38. Uh, God doesn't approve of that. Here's our big idea for today that will sort of frame us for where we're going. Uh, The gospel enables us to break through our sinful behaviour 
as we humbly submit ourselves before God, our Creator and our Maker. It's a big, a big idea. So first, let's go back. Let's go to Tamar as the first person we begin to look at here in this story. Uh, Tamar can both appear hard done by, and, and we'll see that in a moment, but also a person who's a schemer or deceitfully planning things, as we saw that as we read there before. Uh, but here's what Tamar is really working for in this story. She's actually working for justice. She's working for justice. Tamar wants what is right or fair in her life. Tamar has been promised some things, but Judah hasn't delivered that to her. So that's where she's working for justice. To kick this off, we we need to see this. Judah actually goes against his parents' wishes and marries a local Canaanite woman. They were told to marry within their clan or their family group. But Judah's gone off and he's married with what we call the pagans of that local land at that time, the Canaanite people. Uh, this Canaanite woman and Judah, uh, they have a son who's called Ur. And then Judah decides to find a wife for Ur. And that's where Tamar comes into this story here in Genesis 38. Uh, we see in verse 7 that Ur is wicked before the Lord. So God decides to put him to death on the spot. There's one of those dramatic entrances of God in this particular chapter. This now leaves Tamar a widower who has been put to death by God. Judah now tells his second son, Onan, you take Tamar as your wife and raise up offspring for Ur. Now you might be wondering right there, what the heck goes on with that? Does he just get passed on down the family line or something? Does a brother-in-law just go and marry a sister-in-law? In that day and in that culture, that is what's called the Leverite law. And that's actually what was supposed to take place. In that culture and time, the dead husband's father was to provide another husband from one of his other sons to that widower, in this case, which is Tamar. And it's really a good law in many respects, because that law was given to protect the widower from a very difficult life. See, to be a widower in those times was to live in a very precarious and marginal place of life with no social security nets back then to provide for you. So they said, okay, you marry the next son, and then in through that you actually are to raise up uh, an offspring for your dead husband. So Onan takes Tamar as his wife, as he should, but he does so reluctantly. He does so reluctantly. In verse 8 we see he's meant to produce an heir for his dead brother with Tamar, but Onan doesn't do that. Every time he has sex with her, he withdraws, it tells us there in Genesis 3, and he wastes the semen on the ground that she won't fall pregnant and have an heir for Ur. Now you might think, what the heck's going on there? Well, let me tell you about Onan. He's selfish. He's very selfish. He doesn't want to raise up an heir for Ur because that will decrease whatever inheritance he was going to get from his father, Judah. The firstborn was meant to get all the inheritance. If the firstborn dies, it all goes to the secondborn. But if there's an offspring raised up on behalf of the firstborn, well, the inheritance goes back. So Onan doesn't want to do that because he wants all the inheritance. So what does God do? God says, that's evil, wicked behaviour, Onan. So God puts to death Onan as well. Another dramatic entrance here of God in verse 10. Where does this leave Tamar? Well, she's a second-time widower in a very desperate situation. But that's all right, 
Judah's got another son called Shelah. Now it's funny, when I was reading this this week, I sort of said the word Shelah, which sounds like Aussie slang, doesn't it? But it's not. It's Shelah. Judah tells Tamar, at this point, go back to your father's home as a widower, so not Judah's home, but her father's home, and as soon as Shelah grows up, I'll give him to you as a husband. Now, a couple of things to bear in mind as you're trying to put all these facts and details together. The marrying age for uh, girls back then was 15 or 16. Very often you were married by 15 or 16 years of age. Basically, as soon as you reach puberty, you were married. So quite conceivably, Tamar could have been married at 15, widowed at 16, remarried at 16, and widowed by 17 or 18 even again. And if we're thinking Shalaz younger than uh, er and Onan, getting all these names right, he could have been 10 or 15 years old at the time, so you've got to wait for him to grow up. So that's all the, the machinations that are happening here behind the scenes. So where's Tamar as we think about all this? She's back at her father's home waiting for Shalah to grow up. But Judah has no intention of giving Shalah to Tamar as a husband at all. He's actually thinking... There's a curse on Tamar, and that's why his sons are dying. The first one dies, the second one dies. He's thinking, now there's a curse on this woman, and I don't want to lose Shalah either. So I've just told her to go back and um, you know, just go over there and stay there. A few years ticks by, and Tamar has now woken up to this plan. Shalah has grown up. He's of marrying age, which is around about 20 for that time for, for men. And Tamar isn't given to him as a wife. Tamar's been ripped off. This is unjust. This is not fair. That's what she's thinking and that's what's going through her mind. Judah isn't fulfilling his obligations as the father of the sons who married Tamar. Judah's just as happy now to see Tamar go away and never come back. He doesn't want her to be a burden on his life or that curse to actually go and be a problem for his sons. But Tamar's looking for justice. Now, justice is a really, really good thing, particularly in Tamar's life. Everybody wants justice. God is known by his perfect justice. And God will one day make all things right, because we see lots of injustice around about us. The world we live in is corrupted by injustice. We have unjust businesses that are ripping off people with unfair wages and unfair working conditions. We have unjust laws that favour some people and discriminate against others. If you've been watching the news over the last few months, aside from the coronavirus, you've been seeing all of this racial injustice taking place in America. There's a lot of injustice in this world. It's not right. Injustice is a wrong thing. Let's keep following the story here, though, as we see now what uh, Tamar is looking for. She's looking for justice. So what does she do? She hatches a plan. Judah's heading out of town to do some sheep shearing and she hears about this. What does she do? She goes and dresses like a cult prostitute at that time. She takes off all of her widow garb, as it were, and her widow dress and she puts on a prostitute's veil and becomes an acts as a cult prostitute. Now you might be thinking, what is all that about? Uh, the uh, crazy religions and cults they had back then had prostitution worship, which is when you had sex with these cult prostitutes, was meant to stir up their gods for fertility to make their farms have fertile soil. 
crazy, crazy religion. Anyway, Tamar gets disguised here as a cult prostitute, sits beside the road that Judah's going to come along with, her veil over her face. Judah does come along and he asks her, can I have sex with you? You're all a bit shocked at the moment, aren't you? You think, is this really in the Bible? This is in the Bible, guys. This is Genesis 38, okay? What's Tamar doing? She's seeking justice. The only way she can get it, she believes. I'll fall pregnant to my father-in-law and that'll be treated fairly by him. Justice is right and we should care about seeking justice, but we don't seek it the way Tamar's going about it at this stage. We don't condone this behaviour. Anyways, Judah does have sex with Tamar. He doesn't recognise her because she's veiled and she falls pregnant to him. Judah hasn't got the money to pay her there and then on the spot, so he says, I'll leave a pledge of payment with you. Tamar says, give me your signet cord, uh, give me your signet and your cord. Now you might be thinking, oh, okay, what's the signet, what's the cord, what's all that about? That's a bit like leaving your identification papers with somebody. The signet was like a, a, uh, a clay scroll that you would roll onto something to actually identify who you are. In today's language, it'd say, I'll leave you my driver's licence. It's got my name and address and photo on there. It's my identification papers. I'll leave that with you, Tamar. He didn't know Tamar. It's with this prostitute until my other payment comes. Fast forward three months, and Judah has found out that Tamar has played the whore and is now pregnant. Judah is enraged about this. He's enraged with her that she would so defile the family name at that point in time. And look in verse 24 to see what he says. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Bring her out and let her be burned. As Tamar is being dragged out of the house, probably by her hair, she says, hang on, the person who had sex with me should be burned as well. He's just as guilty as me. And then Tamar produces this signet, this identification paper here of Judah, and she asks, who does this belong to? Because this is the guilty party. Now, talk about... Heard of a, could, you could have heard of a pin drop moment right there and then. That's exactly what took place. Deathly silent. You could have heard a pin drop. What is Judah now going to say? All eyes are on him as they hold up these identification papers saying, it's Judah, it's Judah. Judah now owns up to his responsibility of sin in this act and says, she's more righteous than I since I did not give her to my son, Shalar. You see, injustice is a shocking, shocking sin. To take advantage of people and abuse them just to further on your own selfish agenda is a horrible, horrible sin. It's a total lack of love and respect for people made in God's image. For any one of us, it's so easy for us to fall into doing unjust things. We can easily manipulate people to do what we want, putting them at risk just so we can be advantaged out of that or take advantage of a situation. Sometimes we might have dodgy stuff that we want to sell. 
stick it up on Facebook, uh, Facebook, buy, swap and sell or something like that, but not telling people the true condition of it to the buyer, just selling it as is. We're taking advantage of somebody and unjustly abusing them as we actually sell even dodgy material. We can easily fall into doing unjust things. Now, Tamar did get justice here, and she should have gotten justice, but she should never have gone about it in that way, choosing sexual sin to try and get justice in her life. Maybe this is your first time at Exchange. Maybe this is your first time being online, and you're identifying with feeling abused or being treated very unjustly. Uh, The gospel here redeems us in that. The gospel here really does uh, show us how we've been treated unjustly, but we've also treated God unjustly, and that Christ has come and saved us for that. So we're glad you're on here today. Stick with us as we see this gospel work its way out through this message here uh, today. Okay, so what about Judah? What about Judah here in this story? What's, What's happening with him? Well, Judah's a bit of a mess. Uh, He's actually filled with self-righteousness. He is riddled with double standards and self-righteousness. That's who Judah is. Uh, Let's look at his response here when he finds out that Tamar's pregnant. What's he say? Let me paraphrase. He's saying, burn the wretch. Burn this wretch. To burn somebody that day is like the worst punishment possible. You must have done the most horrendous thing to earn that uh, punishment of being burned. Now, Tamar has committed horrendous sexual crimes, says Judah. Burn the wretch. He's saying, here's my chance to get rid of this problem girl. But hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Judah, if it's okay for you to have sex with whatever you please, but for Tamar, it's not. I think there's double standards working here. You can go do as you please, but as soon as Tamar does something... You're actually saying, no, she's got to be burned. So there's, there's one standard for you, Judah, and there's another standard in your life for everybody else. Double standards. See, that's plain and simple self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. And all we do with self-righteousness is compare ourselves with other people and say, I'm not as bad as those people over there. We're all good at doing that. We can look over the fence, we can look over the road, we can look over the desk, we can look over the classroom, we can look across the room, and all we're doing is, I'm not as bad as that person sitting over there. I compare myself with someone else, and that's what self-righteousness does. I'm nowhere near as bad as that person who's sitting over there. We compare ourselves with each other, and we come away just filled with self-righteousness. And everybody else around about us very quickly feels like, well, we make them feel like they're second rate, third rate or fourth rate in comparison to us. With self-righteousness, though, comes two things. First, we become masters of justifying our sinful actions. We become experts in making ways to excuse our sinful actions. We tell ourselves that I'm such a good employee, such a good employee, self-righteous person, to this business that I'm entitled to a few late lunches at the expense of the business. We convince ourselves of that. We convince ourselves of our so-called position here of rightness, that I'm entitled to abuse that at the business's expense. We become the masters of justifying our sinful actions. Secondly, self-righteousness produces pride. 
the more we build up this self-righteous position, the more we think highly of ourselves, we keep inflating ourselves, the more we compare ourselves with others and see ourselves as streets ahead of them, well, our, our, our mind just goes in pride, self-righteous pride. I'm way better than that person over there. If only the world could be like me, the world would be a whole lot better place. That's what self-righteousness does. It grows pride. As we think about Judah, and we think about where Judah's come from, and trace that story of him up to this point, we see a really interesting thing happening here. Firstly, Judah's a part of a band of brothers committed to getting rid of Joseph. Uh, Judah, quite happily, just a couple of chapters ago, put his hand up to say, let's sell Joseph, their younger brother, to these Midianite slave traders and we will never see him again. He's quite happily, he said, no, that's where I am. Get rid of this boy, we don't want nothing to do with him. And here in this chapter, we actually see him walking further away from God's purposes as he gets entwined in the local culture here in Canaan and marries a foreign lady. And even further in this chapter, we see him walking away from his responsibilities to Tamar. And quite happy to burn her at the stake. We can see this progressive story here with Judah right uh, right throughout these uh, chapters and verses. But there's a moment of breakthrough here, I believe, for Judah. A real moment of breakthrough for Judah. As Tamar sets up this plan to get justice and to trap Judah into caring for her, I believe God takes this moment, takes this precise moment to allow Judah's secret sins, as it were, to come out in the open and then to produce some sort of recognition for who he really is. Look in verse 26 here for this confession that Judah makes. In verse 26, Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. You see, when Judah declares that Tamar is more righteous than he, it's a really telling moment here in the life of Judah. What we see is a picture of humility beginning to break into his life. It's come to a point here where Judah, as it were, is beginning to maybe just take off the mask of self-righteousness. Judah's becoming clean about his life. He's not trying to hide this thing any longer. It's, it's like the door's just opened up and a shaft of light of humility has now broken into his heart. In fact, if we move down the track a little, we actually see this door open up further in Judah's life. Uh, we see the journey of uh, Judah here. I see God moving in his heart, as, as it were, to keep this light penetrating deeper and deeper. And by the time we get to Genesis 44, this is a few chapters later, Judah is a very, very different man. Joseph has detained Benjamin in uh, Genesis um, 44 as a prisoner spy when the brothers have come to Egypt for food. And what we see here as Joseph has retained the younger brother, which is Joseph's brother, as a prisoner spy, we see Judah's reply here to what Joseph has just said. And he says it there in verses 33 and 34 of Genesis 44. This is Judah speaking. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his father. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that I would find that I, that would find my father. 
It's a very different person here with Judah now, just a few chapters later. It's a picture of grace working in Judah's heart. It's a picture of grace working in Judah's heart. I reckon it starts back in Genesis 38 with this shaft of light beginning to come into his life, being open and honest about who he is. And it is so, so important for us, so, so important for us to be open and honest about who we really are. Self-righteousness is offensive before God. God knows who we are. There is nothing hidden from him. God sees right through the mask that we put on as we show others what our life is via the mask. God sees right through that mask. God knows the state of our heart. There are no secret sins with God. We, we may have these secrets that we can keep with others, but there are no secrets with God. He knows everything about us. We do not fool God. And this is a great start for the gospel to work into our lives. And actually, towards the end of chapter 38, we see, these, uh, we see God working these mysterious purposes now of the gospel through Judah and through Tamar as he begins to change their lives. Tamar has twin sons to Judah, Perez and Zerah. And Judah is the royal line of David, of King David of Israel. And that royal line finds its way all to the end to Jesus Christ, God's Messiah. And we actually see this mention of these guys in Matthew chapter 1. It says this, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. You can follow that through, and there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, and there's 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, and there's 14 generations from the exile of Babylon until King Jesus. It's a line. Jesus Christ stands at the end of this family line, and he brings the ultimate breakthrough in our lives when it comes to justice, self-righteousness or any of our secret sins. This is the wonder of God who takes these mysterious broken lives and begins to work his purposes through that. Jesus stands at the end of this line and he simply says this, bring all of your sinful brokenness to me. Take the mask off and come to me just as you are. Just be Open and honest about your own life and just own up to it. Don't try and hide it. Don't try and keep it locked away somewhere. And to do this, change the word, take the mask off, be open and to be honest, is the most glorious and liberating thing to do. It's like we can freely come to God just as we are. And Jesus takes all of those secret sins all of that self-righteousness, all of those sexual sins, whatever it might be, Jesus takes all that upon himself at the cross and he exchanges with us his life of perfection. That is the foundation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
It's at the cross where we see this superb uh, demonstration of God's glory to rescue us as we make this great exchange. To forgive and restore, to take our mess and then make it into a masterpiece. As we just come openly before him and to just, just be real and raw. You see, this is the God of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. It's brimming with grace. It's page after page after page after page of God calling a rebellious humanity to come home and to be restored. It's a glorious picture of God. Takes the broken and puts them back together again. Isn't it time we took off the mask, owned up to our secret sins, and discovered the God of breakthrough with forgiveness and restoration. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we come and we read through Genesis 38. God, we we look at the brokenness of humanity. We look at those lies and we just try and imagine ourselves there being a bystander watching on, and we see this unravelling mess. And one question I have in my mind, Lord, is why would you want to be involved with people like that, which really is me in many respects? Why would you want to be involved with people like that when they make such destruction of their lives and openly rebel against you? God, we think about that and we just see your grace working in lives of brokenness. And we sing with Isaac Newton, amazing grace, amazing grace. God, you could just walk away from all of that and consign us all to judgment. But you don't. You come back into our lives. And you pick us up and you restore us. Lord, today I pray, please help us to see what a glorious God you are. And in that I pray, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to come before you, Lord, with no more masks on. No more trying to cover up what's happened in our lives and just trying to keep all these rooms locked away from you. Because that will never happen, Lord. You see everything. And you still extend your arms out to us and say, come home. Come home and be forgiven. Come home and be restored. Come home and just be honest. Father, thank you today for that grace that you reveal to us. And Lord, for those who are uh, dealing with that secretness of their lives, I pray, Lord, today, let them just be open and honest before you and maybe even to share that with a close and trusted friend as well. And to feel that Liberation, Lord, as you take that guilt and condemnation off our shoulders and you fill us with joy and liberty and peace. Help us today in that, Lord, I pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story we see in Genesis 38 and I pray that would grow our hearts in grace today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au 
Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 